People have so many different hacks for getting a good night's sleep. And it's not to say that those don't work, but I really think you cannot discount the power of just good quality sheets and how much that can transform your sleep. I told you guys about these before, but as far as I'm concerned, Bowl and Branch are the best sheets on the market. And I think for me, the thing that like makes them so good is that they're really soft and luxurious while also being breathable. So they kind of work in all weather and their signature sheets are their best seller. They come in 14 versatile colors in all sizes from twin up to California King. I have them in the color stone. I have them in the color mineral. I have the waffle blanket. I have so many things from this company. Everything is just quality and their sheets are made with the finest 100% organic cotton and completely free from toxins. Also, they said this, but I didn't really get it until I started using the sheets. They do get softer with every wash and you'll see that. I've gotten these as gifts for so many people and every single person has been a repeat customer. And there's a 30 night worry-free guarantee. So you can wash style and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them, you can send them right back. Sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bolin Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use promo code CBC at BolinBranch.com. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code CBC. Exclusions apply, see site for details. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Comments by Celebs. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hey, Jewel. I am. This is a really good one, Julie. This is about to be a phenomenal episode. I can just feel it. It was everything I've ever dreamed of and more. Yeah, you guys, season 20 premiere. This really checked every single box. We got the dynamics that we are the most curious about. We got Scott and Sophia. We got Tristan and Chloe. We got the beautiful homes. We got a little glimpse into Kim's situation. I mean, this really was no bullshit, no fluff, straight into the questions that we have been asking for the last year or so. I always say to you, especially in the recent seasons, my favorite episodes are the ones where they just sit around and talk. Because you're watching the show at this point for the information. Like, yes, there's so much entertainment value and there's so much in the dynamic that I love watching and it's so much fun. But really what I get most out of the show and what I'm going to miss most about it not being on anymore is all of the behind the scenes info that you don't get when the initial story breaks. Right. But that's the thing that I find you can almost take it out of Kardashians for a second. Like, Listen, I get that they're not everyone's cup of tea and that's fine, but put it into the context of a celebrity that you really like, a different one. What would you do to be able to have this type of footage where something happens in the news? Let's say JLo and A-Rod, right? Imagine they had a reality show and six months later, we're watching the behind the scenes of when those articles came out. That is exactly what's happening here. So it's a pretty unique thing that you don't see that much of when it comes to such an A-list celebrity. And that is what's really cool. And that's why the show still really works because- Obviously, in the beginning of the show, news would break on the show. You were seeing it for the first time ever because the things they were doing wasn't exactly making headlines. People didn't care. I mean, I'm talking season one, two, and three. Past that, it started to become, okay, now these are all headlines. Now it's in the news. And now you're getting the behind the scenes. And the show continued to be able to work because even though you're saying like, why would I need to watch this? I already know what happened. The news broke six months ago. You don't know any of the details. You don't have any of the clarification. And all of this when you're watching is coming straight from the source. And there is absolutely nothing better than that. Yeah. I mean, listen, we will get into this at length, but let's take if you are somebody who's a Sophia Richie fan, right? And you don't really care about the Kardashians. You still probably would want to watch this episode or a little bit of the season because you know you will never get the insight as to what went down in their relationship without it. Sophia doesn't have a reality show. She's not putting it up in a YouTube video, which is completely fine and like very normal. So it's it's kind of rare that you get this. And I, I mean, 
I was on cloud nine. Like I love recapping those old seasons so much. Genuinely, it's a cathartic experience and I'm so glad we've done it. However, a premiere really, as you say, it hits different. Yeah. Hits different. Yeah. Okay. Shall we? Please. Okay. So, well, first, I guess I just should say, guys, season 20 premiere. Let's do it. This is the last time, at least for a little while, that we are going to be doing a new season. So I hope that this is as enjoyable for you guys listening as it's about to be for us doing it. Oh, well, now this is emotional. I know. (laughs) Okay. So we start out in Scott's house and I just know the second I see that aerial shot of the pool of that backyard, I know we're about to enter on those light oak floors and really just be consumed by the Scott Disick design aesthetic. I love his aesthetic. You know, it's funny because their homes, I think, you know, you've come to really know them and every home has such a different energy and such a different vibe, which is normal with any home and any interior design. But Chloe and Scott specifically to me are on such different ends of the spectrum. Chloe, and I don't know what her house is now, but she used to have those really dark hardwood floors with kind of like the shiny, you know, lacquer. And his is just such a different concept. And I, I love bouncing between them. A really interesting discussion just to like go off episode for one second is whether or not Kim will change up the home now that Kanye is not living there anymore. Whether that's like her actual design aesthetic and what she loves or has come to love, or if this was entirely him and now that he's, you know, spending all his time in Wyoming or spending his all his time not in the house and she gets to keep it, whether or not she'll change things around. My gut on it is that she has really grown to appreciate the idea of like, quote, minimalism. Obviously, I know that's completely the wrong term. That house is the definition of like maximalist in terms of just the extravagance of it. But when I mean, you know, nothing on the countertops and really kind of bare, I think that that level of simplicity has become really kind of healing for her because she has such a crazy day, such a crazy schedule. So I think she likes coming home to this lack of chaos. However, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe she over time adds in some more pops of color because that to me, if I was living there, I wouldn't mind it being so bare, but I think I'd really miss having those colorful elements. Yeah, no, it's entirely a minimalist home interior-wise. I mean, it doesn't get more minimalist than that's one single color. I personally love it. I've always loved it. I think it is the entire interior of that house is just art, but it will be interesting to see what happens. Did you see that last night North and Saint were setting up the leprechaun traps and she's filming and she's like, these kids put Pam on my stone table and I can't get it out. I was like, Seeing Pam on a stone table is the best birth control I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) What about the glitter? When she starts pouring that glitter, I was like, oh, wow. You know, glitter is like one of my worst nightmares because it's the kind of thing you will never get that out completely. I don't care what type of cleaning crew you have in there. Glitter is just one of those things where it will stay forever. And she's so gleefully pouring that. And I was just sitting here like, there's no Dyson in the world that's going to get that up. I know you can't see me, but my arms are literally flailing because I hate glitter so deeply with every fiber of my being. I am not telling my kids about glitter. No. And she was so chill about it. I don't know. I guess maybe if you're not the one cleaning it up, it's different. But yeah, that I lo- listen, I love watching Kim in those moments with all of them, specifically Saint, just because it really brings out this playfulness in her that sometimes we don't see because she has such like a serious edge at times. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Sorry. Tangent over back to the episode. There's so many things I wanted to like say to you that I'm trying to stay on track here. Okay. So like I said, we start out in Scott's house and Chloe starts in her confessional kind of just 
explaining the timeline, explaining what's going on. We think this is roughly late June, early July, based on some of the things that we're, they're talking about in the episode. And also the fact that Chloe in her confessional says that it's been four months since lockdown and things are starting to open up a little. And she's saying how they rented a house in Malibu kind of as their replacement for their summer vacation. And so she walks into Scott's closet because he's packing and they have this conversation about him and Sophia, which really gave us so many answers. And Chloe asks, you know, what's the deal? Is Sophia living here or not? And I want to read you exactly what Scott said in his confessional. I know you guys watched it, but I feel we need to really set the scene here because this was telling Julie. Yeah, there's a lot to dissect in this one quote. Okay. He says, life gets really weird when you're living with someone and then your world just gets so small and you're spending 24 hours a day with people. I mean, you can look at the news and see people are getting divorced left and right. And I definitely think it did create a problem between Sophia and I. And I think we kind of saw some things in each other that weren't us being on the same page, I guess. You know, I totally realize that I'm not your average single guy. I do have three children. I have an extremely close relationship with my kids' moms and it's baggage. I mean, it's designer baggage, but it's still there. So we decided that she would move out and we'd take some time, see how we feel not being on top of each other. We're kind of seeing where things go from here. And Chloe is saying to him in the closet that basically, you know, you're going to have to see and if you guys miss each other and, and realize how you feel. But I was really deep in this one. This really set the whole tone for the episode. Well, I first just want to say, not to sound like really naive, and maybe this was common knowledge, I obviously knew that they were living together in some capacity. I mean, they have the dog together. Sophia was constantly posting from there, but I didn't realize that they were actually living together. So for him to say that they were living together constantly, to me, was like one little check of a box of, okay, well, that's at least one confirmation that we didn't fully get, or at least I didn't feel we did. And then the next confirmation that we didn't fully know was the time in between their, quote, breakup and when they saw each other July 4th was technically a break and not a full split, which we didn't have the knowledge of either. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you guys remember when those July 4th pictures came out, people were really interested in the timeline, I think. Yeah, very much. I know we were. (laughs) People like chaos. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so next scene, we're at the Malibu house. Kim and Corey pull up. Everybody's kind of just getting acclimated to it. And I will say, you know, we have seen this house previously, but they really showed us a lot of different angles. And Kim's explaining that it's Diana Jenkins' house, who she's friends with. And just as a side plot, May of last year, the house was put on the market for $125 million. It's ridiculous. And Kim's explaining how, you know, they've been renting it. And I just have to say, Over the years with Kardashians, we've seen a lot of homes. And I think we feel often that they're a little bit jaded and kind of as a byproduct, we are too. Not for our own senses, but like, okay, they're never really going to one-up themselves. I have to say this view was one of the things that set this house a little bit apart for me. Yeah, the view was spectacular. And they that's something that they couldn't get over. I mean, in terms of the actual state, I will say that I personally feel so jaded by the Palm Springs house and by Kim's just entire property that it's not something that blows me away to see this Malibu property. The view was spectacular. The house is spectacular, but to me, it just doesn't compare to those other two, but I'm not fully jaded because when they went on that Aspen trip, I could not believe my eyes. That Aspen trip was something. Those are, those are the homes when you kind of have to take a step back and realize like, this is you know, even for your average celebrity, your average, very, very wealthy person, there's a certain level where it just becomes excessive. And so for them, there there is no limit. And I think that's one of the things that you do just start to realize. 
Yeah, definitely. Anyway, so they're kind of just all getting used to it. And this is when Scott and Chloe get there. Scott, Chloe in this scene is in that tight black dress. I thought she looked epic. Amazing. Yes. They're just kind of hanging out. It's a typical Scott and Chloe dynamic. They're in bed together and and he's, I mean, that sounds weird if you didn't watch it, but they're just laying in this bed kind of looking at all the different rooms. And he says something like, you know, it's nice here, this view, not the view, but you. Like, I just love those little interactions that we've seen throughout years and years now. Imagine trying to explain the dynamic between Scott and Chloe to somebody who doesn't watch the show. That's not what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say, having just watched Courtney and Chloe take Miami, when Courtney and Scott tell Chloe that Courtney is pregnant and Chloe absolutely freaks out and we saw that entire thing go down, I thought you were going to say, imagine trying to tell Chloe that this is what their relationship was going to be one day because in that moment, all she saw was red. Oh yeah, absolutely. Both of those things. Definitely. I also want to say, you know, this next scene is the first time that Kim has acknowledged her, quote, space with Kanye because she says, you know, quarantine has honestly been the best thing for me because we can't do anything and I had to study anyway. The kids are in Wyoming and that's the hardest thing for me is to be away from them, but I have to really dedicate myself and do it. I have to study 10 and a half hours a day. Of course, she's talking about law school, but for her to even say the kids are away in Wyoming, that was basically saying Kanye and I are not living together. And so the kids are spending time with their dad. She basically said that without saying it. Right. That was the vibe that I got as well. Although last episode, I think of the last season, maybe not the last episode, but one of the last episodes, it is the kids going to Wyoming with Kanye because she needs some time for herself because Kanye was sick. So they were living together at that point and then he went to Wyoming. So there was obviously a dynamic shift between then and now, which is interesting, but not fully acknowledged. Well, that's the thing. And we saw a little bit at the end of this episode in the preview for the next one when Chris says something like, you know, I know Kim doesn't really want to talk about it on camera, but they were all talking about the stress that they feel she must have. So it makes me feel like we are definitely going to, I don't know if you want to say lean into the Kim and Kanye stuff more than I had anticipated, but maybe get it a little bit earlier on. Like my expectations are low in terms of the depth of conversation And I think that's just like for my own sake, we could get a lot. I mean, Kim definitely does share a lot. But the fact that it was even being alluded to this early on made me hopeful. Me too. And I will say something that we were talking about, something that I always say a lot is that I feel like with the Kardashian previews, they always give us the best stuff. And then when you're watching the episode, you're like, I already saw this in the preview. Like, I'm so disappointed to be watching it because it loses its shock factor. The one thing that they haven't teased even slightly in the previews we've seen is the Kim and Kanye stuff. So it leaves me a little bit hopeful also that that's what they're saving to give us shock factor with. Right, which I think is a common mindset. I mean, it's definitely mine. I think it's shared with you. And I would imagine other people that that is the biggest shock factor. I mean, all these other things seem like child's play, comparatively speaking, with the exception of Courtney and Scott. But Kim and Kanye's insight, you are not going to get it anywhere else. It's, it's a vault. So this is really like, to me, I think if I'm ranking them, I'm going to put this up as like the superior storyline. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Me too. Okay, so next scene, Tristan arrives. And you see Scott is so happy to see him. They clearly have a great relationship. And then out of left fucking field, we get a Tristan and Chloe joint confessional. Uh, Julie, I was like, this is how I felt when Mason graced the confessional screen. This was the one thing throughout the episode that I couldn't just sit back and wait for you to watch. I sent a picture to you as soon as they popped up on the screen because I could not handle it. Watching them together, especially 
that you're finding out what their relationship is while you're watching it. I felt like I was watching it with a microscope. I was so focused on their body language, on the way that they were interacting. You could tell that he was a little bit nervous to do a confessional. He's drinking Hennessy. You can tell that their vibe is not completely fully matched or that Chloe's maybe holding back a little because she's still not comfortable sharing to the public. And by the public, I literally mean just anyone that's not her or Tristan, what's actually going on in her head because she still has that little bit of self-doubt. Like, if you really take a moment and rewatch that and just analyze it, you will find a new thing every time. I feel like this episode specifically made it really hard to dislike Tristan to the extent that we're all used to. There was something about the dynamic and something about the way he was with her where I felt myself, and I know I've kind of said this before, but I felt myself really coming around on the whole thing. Well, I just decided that I'm no longer, I think we've said this recently, like, if Chloe's make, deciding to make this choice with him, whether or not it's romantic, which I think now it, it definitely is, or she's just having more children with him, like holding on to that hatred if she's gotten rid of it is not, just not serving anyone. Like the only yeah. person that that's hurting is anyone who holds it on to. And that's not just with Tristan, that's with anything, right? Like letting it go is the most healing thing you can do. Obviously, I know I sound dramatic, like I don't need to let go of the Tristan hate, but seriously, like it makes it more enjoyable to just be able to watch this and just take it for what it is and not constantly be replaying in your moment all the things he's done wrong. We have harped on that to a degree that I cannot even comprehend. So I'm just going to take this for what it is and talk about this episode like that. Me too. And they're both kind of saying how normally, you know, Tristan would never have this much off time. And so the silver lining of this entire thing is the fact that they've been able to spend this time together and, you know, the NBA being off. And it's just from that confessional right to their conversation at the Malibu house. And Chloe saying to him how every time she posts true, Kim will respond to the story and say like, okay, well, when are you giving her a sibling? She can't be an only child and all this stuff. And they're kind of just, I guess, having this back and forth about the possibility or the idea of having another kid. And you see Tristan is like chomping at the bit for her to say that because he really, really wants it. Do you think that Tristan's excitement about the kids, I mean, I'm sure it is a combination of the two, but do you think it's more about the idea of Chloe allowing him to be a part of this and them becoming a family again? Or do you think it is just genuine excitement to have another child? No, I think it's a combination of both for sure. Like, I don't, I don't mean to diminish, I do think he's a good dad and I don't mean to diminish how much excitement he may feel for having another child, but I think it's at least a 50-50 split. And to be honest with you, if not even a little bit more in terms of, I think the, I don't want to say motivating factor, but maybe the dominant factor in this is the fact that that signals to him more togetherness with Chloe and more really getting onto the path of a full-blown rekindling. Yeah, definitely. That's how I feel as well. So, and I should give just for this entire episode, you'll see it in a couple of scenes. I don't really know if it's that heavily in this one. I should give a trigger warning for infertility because she talks pretty in-depthly about her process in IVF. But in her confessional, she's saying, you know, I've been thinking about wanting another kid for quite some time and I have a head start on it. I started the process a couple months ago of freezing my eggs and you see her kind of just talk a little bit here about the process. And this is when she says a line, again, answered a lot of questions. And I quote, Tristan and I are not together romantically, so we will not be conceiving the natural way, but he's an incredible father. He loves his daughter and son so much. And for the past year, I've seen so much growth and so much change in him, which I'm grateful for. So I'm thrilled that he's on board with turning some of my frozen eggs into embryos. Interesting. I mean, I was not anticipating this in terms of, at this point, I thought that they were together romantically. I thought if they were going to have a kid at this particular time, based on everything that we've been seeing, I would have thought that they just 
would be having sex. Clearly that's, I mean, there's other reasons that they're not for that, you know, but it was very telling as to where they're at. And I wasn't fully on that page. Yeah. I think at this point I had assumed they were together too, but the thing with them is it's not like they've officially confirmed them back together. I mean, I know there's been a lot of things where we've said, oh, that's got to be it. Oh, that's got to be the confirmation. But even in that birthday post she wrote for him for his 30th birthday, which was a really, really nice, beautiful post for him. She refers to him as her best friend. She doesn't refer to him as like my boyfriend, my fiance, my partner, whatever. She says my best friend. So again, I think at this point currently, like March 2021, they must be together. But there's never been an official, official confirmation that would lead you to say there's zero wiggle room for them not to be together. There's never been a kissing photo. There hasn't been from him either. It's just, they're clearly, you know, stringing us along a little bit. But I also think the issue or the thing that's happening is that Chloe isn't 100% sure yet. Well, I was going to say, I think that it's very intentional on Chloe's end because I think that confirming it is almost allowing herself up for not only criticism, which we know she does take personally and kind of internalizes, but I think more than that, it's almost then just setting her up for like more hurt. I think if she she feels that it's almost a self-preservation tactic to be able to lead with this ambiguity because then nobody really has room to say anything. And I think that what we're seeing here, and I honestly think even what we've continued to see is that she is holding on to that for as long as physically possible until it actually brings a wedge between them. Because, you know, you get to a certain point where I know Tristan in so many ways kind of like walks on eggshells and there's nothing that she could do that he wouldn't be down for. However, you get to a certain point where if you really are together, you want the person to just acknowledge that. And so you can see this is a little bit of a tricky situation. And my question for you also is based on her saying here that they're not romantic. And I don't think she's lying here. I think they are genuinely not romantic at this point. Does that leave you any room for the possibility that they still are in the exact same place and they're not romantic now? I personally don't think so. No. I I, I think if you're asking my gut feeling on it, I think that they are at this point. Um, but I, I really just think it, it is a lot more about Chloe honestly is traumatized. I think Chloe has PTSD from the entire situation. And I say this all the time, but embarrassment is one of the most like disorienting emotions to feel. And I think that level of embarrassment that she felt is so deeply ingrained within her that she will do everything physically possible, even if it seems ridiculous and annoying to the public to try to preserve that for as long as possible. Right. That's just what I think. I mean, I could be totally wrong. That's just my feeling on it. No, it's just, I I don't disagree with you. It's just such an interesting situation because she's giving the public just enough for them to have room for the criticism of their relationship without letting herself confirm it. So it's not like a situation where we're seeing paparazzi photos of that engagement ring on her hand, but she's not posting anything about him or commenting anything about him or posting a story, nothing we're still getting something. We're like, I could understand that point of view as if she wasn't giving us anything where she's trying to preserve that embarrassment and keep it so private to avoid criticism. But she's kind of teetering on that line of not confirming, but giving us enough that she can gauge a public reaction or I guess warming us up to the point where like when she is ready to fully, fully confirm, no one is going to be surprised by it. 
it's the word that you just used is exactly what I was going to say, gauge public reaction. I feel that with Chloe significantly more than any of the rest of them. She cares more about public like opinion or she's more, I guess I should say she's more impacted seemingly by the public opinion about her relationship and things like that, where I think Kim is more like, fuck you. And so I definitely think there is, even if it's not like, I would even go as far as to say, I don't think that it's subconscious. But if somebody said to me that they feel that it's subconscious and she's just doing this because she wants to get a sense and she's not even realizing that she's being as ambiguous as she is, you know, whatever, like I maybe would believe it. Like that's how, that's how deep I think she's in, in this, in her mind. Right. I mean, and who can blame her? It's not like public opinion and public scrutiny has ever been on her side. Obviously the whole family's had to deal with all of that, I think. Chloe, Kim, and Kylie, probably most out of anybody in the family. But in terms of the absolute negativity of the media and the public, Chloe has had to deal with that 10 times more than any of the other ones. So yeah, I don't blame her for trying to protect herself in whatever way she seems fitting, whether it's a logical way or not. Right. That's the thing. If you're going to look at this, you have to remove logic from it because you'll start to get like annoyed. And you know what? What's logical to one person is not for another. And when it comes to like emotional survival, sometimes logic just isn't necessarily there. And I understand that she's kind of just operating in whatever way she sees fit. So I'm choosing personally, and not everybody has to do it this way. Like you can feel however you feel. I'm choosing to give her grace because I think that this whole thing really fucked her up. Yeah. And also this isn't the first thing that's fucked her up. So she's <laughs> she's entitled to dealing with it the way that she sees best. Yeah, I also want to take a break in a second before the next scene, but I quickly have to say, did you just see Billie Eilish's hair? Yeah, I've actually been seeing it for like the past 40 minutes. I've been meaning to say something, but I actually didn't know if you were going to care as much as I do. I think it looks fucking amazing. It looks amazing. I'm floored. I also really love when artists do specific things to signal a next era. So Billie dyeing her hair like this to signal the next era of music that she's going to come out with is really exciting for me. Well, it's funny because at the Grammys when she was in that Gucci outfit, which obviously, you know, it was kind of on brand for her, but it was a little bit different. Instead of the baggy pants, she wore more of a tighter fitting uh, flare bottom. That in and of itself was different. So you can kind of tell there's this new yeah, era, I guess, of music, of fashion, of just artistic expression that she's heading into. And so to watch this, it felt like a really tangible example of that. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's take a break and then we will come back with scene four. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quinn's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. 
Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Next scene, we're at Kim's house. Not too much to get into here. She's on the phone with Sam Barkas, who's a lawyer that's kind of helping her prep for the baby bar. And you see she's very in it. Also, she does have that whole superstitious thing, like wearing that specific skims and things like that. That's that's not um, for show. You've seen that throughout the years with Kim. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Now, amazing moment. So we're at the Malibu house. It's Scott and Courtney just talking, sitting there, kind of just talking about how much they love the energy there. And Courtney asks Scott, so what's going on with you and Sophia? I heard you guys are on a break. How are you doing? And I'm just sitting here like this, this right here, this particular conversation, that particular question is everything I could have ever wanted in an episode. It could have ended right there. He didn't even need to reply and I would have been happy. I cannot wait to get into this scene. I know. Okay. So Scott goes, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just think people come into our lives and they think it's maybe easier than they think. Courtney goes, easier like what? Again, I'm going to read you his exact quote. If you want to fast forward 30 seconds, feel free, but I have to. He goes, you know, to be with you or to be with me. But it's like very true that we do come with a lot of baggage and it's definitely not easy that we see each other, work together, and are friends. When you first get with somebody, everybody is like making changes and, oh, I'll do anything because I'm so happy, so in love, so excited. But then when it sinks in and it becomes real life, it's a lot different. I don't think I could do it the other way around. But I've always been clear that my priority has been my children, my life with them. And I even put it out there that taking care of you is one of my priorities. Like, hold on. Before I even go into his confessional, like me dropping dead watching that. No. The best part of this whole scene is Courtney just going, mm-hmm, yeah. Like, that's going to be your reaction? It's funny that you say that because I had that same thought. And then I realized, like, clearly Courtney's communication style and in terms of the way that she sometimes doesn't seemingly outwardly express that like compassion and that empathy, not that she doesn't have it, but she's not the most outward person. Clearly it doesn't bother Scott. You know, clearly he is fine with that communication style and has become accustomed to it. And I had to really take a second, like consciously and remove my lens from it because I couldn't deal with that. Like if I'm pouring my heart out to someone, I need them to reciprocate in some way or like make me feel understood because that's the way that I feel like I communicate when someone's doing it to me. So at first I'm like, Courtney, what the fuck? And then I realized like, they've been doing this for years. This is clearly fine. She obviously shows it in other ways. Also that little just, mm-hmm, yeah, is exactly the reason why I both love and hate Courtney at the same time. <laughs> I know. Because it's like this thing where you're so frustrated by her lack of a reaction. And then on the other hand, you're like, oh my God, I just strive to be as consistently unbothered by everything as you are. Yeah, it's pretty wild. That's why we were also thrown off when she was kind of more reactionary. Not that it was a bad thing. I, you know, I think at the time we were maybe hard on her, but I guess we're just so not used to her being emotive. Right. Exactly. Anyway, so Scott's in his confessional and he says, I realize that Sophia has been an absolute trooper, but the truth is anybody dating somebody is going to feel neglected when their significant other is spending more time with their ex than them. And we'll talk about this in literally 10 seconds, but Scott says to Courtney when they're sitting there, you know, I don't know, like, are we just going to grow old, just traveling the world with the kids living like one house down from each other or together at some point. And Courtney says, I think it's great that we can do that with the kids and the kids love it. But I do think we have to be respectful of our relationship and make sacrifices for that if it means a lot to you. And now in her confessional, she says, I mean, I definitely want Scott to be happy, 
It's obviously his choice with what he prioritizes, but I do think that whoever's in a relationship with either of us will have to understand that it's a positive thing that Scott and I are so close. And my parents were able to figure out being best friends. And that's what Scott and I want for our family. And I appreciate that he prioritizes me, but I think the biggest thing is that I want him to prioritize himself. We now go back to Malibu and Scott says to Courtney, I just think that the sacrifices involve the kids and that's what frustrates me. And Courtney says to him, at the same time, what about your own happiness? And he's like, no, you're right. Okay, let's get into this. You want to go first? Do you want to? No, you go. You want me to? Yeah, I want. of course I want you to. <laughs> okay. I guess my first reaction is you and I have consistently wondered for however many years now what Sophia, and you can just use Sophia as a placeholder, what anybody in a serious relationship with Scott would think. And we have really gone back and forth on that. And so to hear him definitively say that it was causing a wedge was finally the confirmation that I really wanted and really was curious about. And to see the way that Courtney responded to that and almost very much acknowledging why she could understand where somebody was coming from. And then to take it a step further when she says to him, you know, like, listen, anybody that we're in a relationship with, of course, my first side thought, which I don't want to lead with because I want to talk about the Sophia element is okay, was something with Travis brewing? Was your mind a little bit there? Right. That was my thought as well. The thing here that's so interesting about the dynamic and what they're saying is Courtney spent so many years telling Scott that he had to be better about prioritizing them and the kids and her and their family. Like that was just the constant thing. Like what you want to do and what your things are cannot come before our family. And I just feel like Scott especially over the past couple of years, has really, really taken that to heart. And it's become just the most important thing to him where he's like, I need to prioritize my kids and I need to prioritize Courtney. And even if we're not together, that is the one thing that she has always told me and expected of me. And I'm not about to stop doing that now. And for Courtney, it's the one thing she's always expected for of him. But and now she's kind of putting the brakes on it being like, whoa, whoa, not that much, which is such an interesting dynamic because how do you have somebody all of a sudden kind of changed the way that they finally gotten the success from operating under. I mean, Scott changed his entire way of his life to basically be able to finally get to the point where he was prioritizing what not only he thought was important, but what Courtney was telling him was important. So for him to now get to a place where he's like, I got so much positive affirmation and so much positive reward from being able to do that. I'm not about to stop now for Courtney to then come and kind of put the brakes on that is such an interesting thing that they're doing here. Oh my God, Julie. Yes. Yes. That is exactly how I was thinking because what do you expect him to do? He, by doing this and by this, I mean, by prioritizing them in the way that he has and has recently, he's gotten everything he could have ever wanted. So of course he's going to then hesitate taking a step back because he's scarred from what it was like when he wasn't. So it's not that I felt that Courtney was necessarily being unfair. It's not like she was really being hard on him and saying, you know, you can't do this. You can't prioritize me. She wasn't. She was understanding the position that he's in. However, I felt like what was missing from the conversation was exactly that of them saying honestly to each other, like, I've only been able to have this relationship with you because of this. And that was the missing piece that wasn't really discussed that we had to fill in as viewers. Right, exactly. And it must be so much easier to be in a relationship with Courtney than it is for the person to be in a relationship with Scott because Scott can't confidently in any way say, 
that he's over Courtney or that he's not vying for his family to be back together or vying for what he wants. And Courtney seems pretty confident in being able to say, our co-parenting relationship is perfect. I love being best friends with you. It is absolutely nothing more. And I'm not willing for it to be more, which must make it much, I mean, must give anybody, but specifically Travis now, the security in that relationship and knowing that. Scott, when you watch him on a reality TV show or anytime he's really talking about Courtney, he is talking about that love that he has for Courtney. He is talking about the fact that he would drop anything to be with Courtney if she was willing to be. And that is a really difficult thing to be in a relationship with because on one hand, Scott's not going to not be in a relationship. He obviously needs that in his life. He needs that connection and you know, that love of another person, but he's not getting it from the person he actually wants. So every person is kind of a surrogate for Courtney, which is also the big joke about people saying that everyone he dates kind of looks a little bit like Courtney. Yeah, there's definitely that little bit of that vibe for sure. I mean, yeah, I I agree that it must be if we're comparing, I think it is probably definitely easier to date Courtney if we're speaking solely from that one angle. And I think that there is truth to that. I really do. I just... I struggle with it and I kind of want to reserve this conversation until we talk about the scene when Kim's reflecting on it. But I understand what Courtney means when she says like it should be a positive because if you're looking at this very objectively, of course, it is attractive that the man that you're with has such a loving, kind relationship with their ex and also has such a bond with their kids. I think that in general is very is very comforting and I would I would appreciate that. However, the element that Courtney isn't necessarily saying is what you just said, which is that if it existed in and of itself would be great. But the fact that you can't confidently separate that from his potentially romantic feelings towards her is what really muddies the waters. Yes. And the last thing that I'll say is, I don't know if Courtney is just inherently lacking the ability to understand this or is choosing not to. But the big difference here also is she's kind of saying to Scott, you have to prioritize yourself, your own happiness, your own relationships. And for Scott, he's prioritizing Courtney because he's leaving room for the possibility of them getting back together. He is prioritizing her for the day when she decides to take him back and can say, I have no doubts about this because even when we weren't together, he never, never stepped down from making me a priority. And that's not how she views the situation. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's almost as if they're not operating on leveled playing fields, which I think was very evident here. I also want to say that they have never, neither of them, I mean, obviously Scott, but Courtney either has never come out and said, Scott and I will never, ever get back together. So there's always that lingering thought, one for him, also obviously for us as the viewers, I think we're all sitting here, maybe I'm just projecting of like, oh my God, none of this would even be an issue if you guys would just get together. But I don't really know where they're going to land on that. And then the third part of it is that I don't know if Courtney is just deflecting or if she's genuinely not making the connection about what you said, where clearly Scott is doing the prioritization. Yes, for his kids. And I'm not trying to discount that. I think a lot of it is kid motivated. He really is a devoted dad. However, she's really not acknowledging the part of him that's doing it a little bit romantically motivated for playing kind of the end game. And I don't know where that is in her mind. Like she wasn't ever going to say it out loud, but I don't know if she's thinking it. Right. And I guess that kind of goes hand in hand with the whole idea of her not entirely shutting him down when he brings up these things. Although I do feel like while he's been in a relationship with Sophia, out of respect for Sophia, it's not like he's been saying to Courtney, 
let's get back together. I want to get back together. I'm sure he's thought it throughout that relationship, but he never blatantly said it. So this season is really the first time in a while where we're seeing him kind of try and vie for that and try and get that back. What will be interesting is if Courtney puts her foot down during this season and says, listen, it's not going to happen. You have to move on. Or if she continues to kind of keep that a little bit alive because maybe there's a part of her that thinks that while he is still trying to get back together with her, trying to make that a possibility again, he's on his absolute best behavior. I mean, right now we're maybe not seeing that out of him. I mean, I'm talking about like in this current moment in Miami, not in the episode, but I do wonder if there's some sort of a like a leash that she's going to keep him on. I'm not saying that out of any sort of knowledge because we haven't seen that play out yet, but it is always a possibility. I know. And that's where my mind is so like, I really have a hard time trying to put myself in Scott's shoes because I don't necessarily think it's the easiest spot to be in because, and, and at the same time, I don't fault Courtney for not telling him there's no way it's going to happen because I don't think in the deepest love her, level of her soul, she thinks there's no way. I think she definitely is open to the possibility. However, by her maintaining even 1% of potential that this could happen, that will then influence the way that he prioritizes her in comparison to his girlfriends. And so- there's a lot of arguments that can be made. I could see people in the camp of like, well, Courtney, if you don't want him now, you have to just set him free. Tell him it's never going to happen. I don't think she can ever say that confidently, at least in this moment, because I don't think that's how she feels. It's like, we could talk about this in circles all day long. And there are people that would come in with opposite points. And by the time they're finished talking, you would be able to believe, be on their side. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where there's so many moving parts to this. And I don't, I really don't envy the position of anyone involved. Obviously the position I envy the least is any of Scott's girlfriends, because it's one thing to have a healthy, positive relationship with your ex. It's another thing to actively be in love with her. Right. It's really hard to be in a relationship where the person that you're dating has very recently been declaring his love for his ex. And it'll be interesting to watch his current relationship play out because now this is all airing. Again, when it was with Sophia, he wasn't really doing that or there wasn't really a time where his love being professed for Courtney was airing on television because it was so much out of respect for her that he wasn't saying those things. But because this is an in-between period, in-between relationships, you now have all of this footage that's going to be coming out of him declaring his love for Courtney, saying he wants to marry her, saying he'll never be over her. And he's got a girlfriend that's got to kind of sit back and just watch that and maybe just take his word in the current moment that that's not how he feels anymore. But how could you ever trust that? No, you couldn't. And I just want to say, watching this episode and particularly watching this scene solidified even more the fact that I think that you are right in the, or actually, no, you were saying that you think Courtney and Travis happened earlier. I don't remember which one of us said it. I think we mutually agreed. I think it was your point though. When you said a few weeks ago that Scott seeing Courtney with somebody like Travis that she has had such a history with in terms of friendship really was what maybe triggered him a little bit because it's a whole different ballgame than Eunice or somebody that had this vibe of more of like a fling or something that was a little bit more fun or more sexually motivated versus somebody that they've been very close family friends with for so many years, have such a deep level of love and respect and familial connection. I think it hits different for him. And I think it momentarily removes the possibility of them getting back together. And you're so spot on in my thought that I think he's spiraling because of that. Yeah. And I don't blame him. I don't, Julie, it's such a fucked up situation. Like not by any of their faults, you can't help the way that you feel, but it's really not an easy spot to be in. I'll tell you that. 
And by the way, like me not blaming him is not me justifying him dating somebody who's 19. I, I mean, we've been so vocal about not agreeing with that. It's just when you examine what he's going through or try to hypothesize what he's going through, you can understand how he ended up there. Yeah, of course. I mean, yes, exactly. I, the whole situation is just crazy. Yeah. Anything else you want to add about that scene or should we move on to Malika and Chloe? No, let's move on to Malika and Chloe. Okay. So next scene, Chloe and Malika are kind of just talking. And I know I gave this earlier, but one more time, I just want to give a trigger warning for infertility. And Chloe's really opening up to her and by virtue of that, opening up to all of us about her journey with IVF. And she's obviously had so many complications and, you know, she repeatedly says how grateful she is for the science to be able to even do this. And I think also shouldn't explicitly say it, but I think also, of course, her financial situation, because so many women that want to be able to do that and it's their last option, they, it's a disqualifying factor, the fact that they can't afford it. So that in and of itself is of course, something that you know, is huge for her. And I just think this process is so draining everything that I have seen of it, everyone that I've ever spoken to. And so for her to be so vocal about it, while in so many ways, it's not quote relatable for her circumstances in other ways, I really do think just by talking about it, it could be helpful for others that are going through the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was so emotionally draining just to watch her going through all of this. I can't imagine what it was like for her or anybody else that has to go through it because it just it's definitely a lot. Yeah, for sure. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. And it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid free allergy spray. And Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real. And for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing and itchy nose due to allergies. So next scene, this is when Kim is gearing up to take the baby bar and Chris FaceTimes her. And I just have to say, in this scene, Chris is wearing a ring that the only word I have for it is blinding. I sent a zoomed in Snapchat video to Julie being like, is this legal? Like I, it's very rare when it comes to the Kardashians jewelry that I'm blown away because I feel like, again, similar to the real estate, we get a little bit jaded. This was one of those that knocked me right in the fucking face. We may have seen this ring before. I don't even remember, but God damn it, this is a rock. It literally took my breath away. I, it was probably the exact same size as like the ice skating rink at Rockefeller Center. Like I have never seen anything like that in my life. I wonder if that was a gift to herself. It was a gift from Corey. I know, you know, there's always been rumors that they're actually married or actually engaged. I don't know where I fall on that. I don't necessarily believe it, although stranger things have happened. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if Chris bought it for herself just because she does treat herself as she should. 
Oh, yeah. I definitely wouldn't be surprised, though, if there was some sort of a secret marriage or secret engagement thing going on, because there definitely have been rumors of that for a while. I wouldn't. Nothing nothing would surprise me there, really. I really mean it. After Kylie got pregnant, when we thought that that was such bullshit, and after, you know, in the beginning when those rumors went around, nobody thought it was real. And after the Jordan and Tristan thing happened, there's nothing that could happen within this family that I think I'd be floored by. Yeah, same. The last thing that I just want to say about the scene is when Kim is talking about how, you know, her dad passed the bar the first time and just really explaining how she felt such a connection to him throughout this process. And I I can imagine what that must have felt like, especially since it wasn't like she went into a family business. This was a completely side thing that just so happened to arise. So I feel like for any child that is then going into the field that they're deceased parent was like, it was such a huge part of their character. I can imagine how that must feel in terms of the bond. Yeah, definitely. So these next two scenes are also regarding Kim's legal journey. The first we see her gearing up to take the test. She's saying that you can't get up even to pee. So they bought depends just in case. And she's like, I didn't end up using them, but I was thinking, do you remember back in the day when I think it was Chris that either was, or was just a plot on the show that she was going to be the spokesperson for, was it poise or one of those, um, one of those brands. Oh, I completely forgot about that. Yeah. It just brought me back for that one moment. Oh, wow. That really brought me back too. I don't remember the exact specifics of it, but I do remember that being a plot line. Remember they were putting the pads all over her in in the scene in her kitchen in the old house with the black and white floors. Yeah. I do. I do vaguely remember now. And the next scene, Allison Statter, obviously Kim's best friend, is throwing her this little party to celebrate her taking it. She comes and you can see she's in gray sweatpants, no makeup, obviously just looks so radiant and beautiful. And I thought it was just a really sweet moment. And I know people kind of give this family a lot of shit for celebrating so many things and they're constantly having celebrations and people find it to be really extravagant. I'm, of course, I'm not talking about the, the COVID element of this. I'm, I'm speaking just in general. And I don't feel that way. I, I love the fact that they celebrate such little things. And if you have the means to be able to do it, I think it's a beautiful thing for so many of your family members to feel so loved and celebrated so frequently. Oh, I so agree. I think it is a really beautiful thing that they do. You never look back on your life and say, you know, I really celebrated the ones I love too much. If anything, mm-hmm. it's only the opposite. So I think that, you know, some of that could have come from the fact that losing their dad at a young age potentially, you know, want to celebrate every moment. I completely could see how that's a thing. And I just love it. Yeah, me too. Also, the best part of the scene was Scott and Cece kind of in the background. And Scott is just so sweet with her. And it is really like my favorite thing in the world to watch. You know, I was going to say to you before I realized that that was Cece, when I only saw her for from the back for a second. And I know we had just talked about that him and Sophia were having issues, but when his arm was around her for a second, I was like, oh my God, is Sophia there? Because it looked not, I don't mean that in a weird way, but like it looked intimate. And then when I saw it with Cece, I was like, of course it's Cece. They have such a bond. He's really so sweet with her. I, I could understand, I guess, how you could see it just because she was blonde from the back and you couldn't really see her face. Um, but he is really so sweet with her. And I always love when Scott talks about the element of how they're his only family now because it really involves him embracing every single member of the family so dearly, not just the sisters, not just Chris. And it is, it makes me so happy for him that he gets that level of family and that level of love from so many different places. I feel the same way, Julie. Every time he says that, you know, this is really my only family, I never forget it, but it really does remind me. And I think 
that is an element that cannot be forgotten about in the conversation about his pursuit for Courtney. Because on some subconscious level, even though he knows that this family is never going anywhere, even if they're both married to other people, there has got to be a small little element that even if it's subconscious is there. Yeah, I so agree. So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We take a quick break to Chloe's house when she's doing her hormone injections because her egg retrieval surgery is in a few days. And then we go back to the Malibu house. Chloe and Scott are talking and this is when she brings up to him that she saw that him and Sophia were spending 4th of July together, kind of what's going on with that. Which again, question I was wondering, because remember when they were spotted together on 4th of July, that was a really big question in so many people's minds. Yeah, absolutely. And Scott says, and I quote, you know, she came to me and explained all the things that made her feel insecure in our relationship and why it was so difficult for her to be in it. And she likes being the center of attention. And she said, in your life, I feel like I'm the last person that gets attention. Chloe, which I completely agree, reflects on how that was a pretty honest, mature thing to say. Scott agrees. And he said, you know, she was really mature about it and she just wants to be able to figure things out. Although it's, it's proving harder and harder because the like basic infrastructure with which he operates is making her uncomfortable. So it's kind of hard to go from there. It's essentially what he was saying. No, don't you think? Right. And she says to him, like, why don't we hang out, have July 4th and kind of see where things go from there. Which I always say about Sophia, like she seems to handle things incredibly maturely. Yeah, I want to read what he said in his confessional and then I want to go back to that for a second. But in his confessional, he says, I think it's great that we opened the door to this conversation because the truth is, I don't think she wanted to hurt our relationship or interrupt our relationship and really speak up about it. But now that she has, I totally understand where she's coming from and she totally deserves to have more attention. I mean, Sophia and I have been together for three years. And now that we're back together, I definitely want to make our relationship work and make her feel like she's the priority and see where that goes. Okay. What I want to say about this is that we have always, and I think even in this episode, we have discussed how a partner would feel about their relationship, meaning Courtney and Scott's. And I always was curious Sophia's thoughts on it. And now hearing this, I feel like it is so crystal clear. I I almost... This is like kind of a dramatic thing to say because we haven't seen enough of their interactions. I almost could envision their conversation going down though because I feel like it came from a very level-headed place and not with anger behind it, but Sophia just saying to him like, I just want to be prioritized and I don't think that's too much to ask. And I so 
get where she is coming from. And by the way, she absolutely deserves that. It's one of those things where it's like, I want that from you. Like you are the person I want to be prioritized by. But if you can't give me that, I understand. I just need to know whether or not that's going to happen for me, which is so extremely understandable. Yeah, I think the way that it was is almost like the consistent was that she needs to be prioritized. And if the person she's in a relationship with is dealing with too many things that makes that impossible, that's okay. It's just, this is clearly not the right relationship for her at this moment because she's not going to shift what she knows she needs to feel fulfilled just to accommodate his situation. She's going to do everything else she can. She's going to go to Finland with him and Courtney and the kids. She's going to be put in those situations that maybe would traditionally be uncomfortable. However, just because you have all this shit going on, it doesn't mean that my feeling of like, respect and prioritization can can suffer as a result of that. And I very much relate to that. I've been not with this level, but I've definitely been in those situations where it's like, I'm not trying to fuck up your flow. I just also am not going to hide what I need to feel fulfilled. And you know something to anybody listening, you should always be able to communicate that to your partner because oftentimes what can happen is you don't want to quote rock the boat. And so then you start to do things that feel untruthful. You start to do things that don't actually make you feel good, but you're doing it because okay, let's just leave it smooth sailing. And then you start to lie to yourself. And when you lie to yourself about like what your heart needs, you're never going to end up in the place that you want to end up. Right. Absolutely. And just lastly, the thing that was also interesting about what Scott was saying was one of the things we were wondering was what was the aftermath of the July 4th meetup? And here we see that after they did see each other, there was an attempt to get back together. At this point, he considers themselves back together. Obviously, we know that doesn't last long, but that was definitely a question we all had. Oh, of course. And that's, again, like how many times in this episode could we point to specific headlines that we have seen that we're now getting the direct answer to? It's endless. Yeah. And it's the best thing ever. I know. So next scene, Chloe is filming herself in the car and she's on her way to the egg retrieval procedure. Tristan's with her driving her, which by the way, for the first minute that she's filming this video, you can tell she's being driven, but you don't know who's driving until you hear her say like, and my chauffeur, and she shifts it and it's Tristan. And I just... I got to tell you, I think this is the type of thing where Tristan really wants to be relied on by her for these little things. Like I think he would take it personally if she had Courtney, for example, drive her. I don't know if that's a stretch, but that's just kind of the vibe that I was getting. And not in a bad way. I think she wants him there, but I think he really wants to be there because I think he's viewing this as like, this is a tangible thing that I can do to show her how in this I am. Yeah. I mean, I I think that's definitely an element of it. The other element of it was that he needed to be there because they were doing the the sperm and the egg retrieval on the same day. So he had to go. But I do think that he is looking for opportunities to be able to definitively step up and prove to her and prove to her that he's reliable. So yeah, it's probably a combination of the two. Yes, of course, with this particular thing, he literally needs to jerk off into a cup. So like, yes, I just think that like, again, it's not the uh, the bar is low type of thing. Clearly, he should be with her. But I'm just saying, I think he would jump at this opportunity. I, I do think so, too. So next scene, we're back at the Malibu house. It's Chris, Corey, Chloe, Kim, and Kendall. This is an amazing scene. Amazing scene. Amazing. So Kim is saying how she saw pictures of Scott and Sophia, but she didn't really want to be nosy. And Corey's like, yeah, I thought it was all over. That's what I was told. And Chloe goes, I think they're trying to work things out. I think it's almost like a test to see how he handles prioritizing Sophia more. Chris weighs in and says, I think it's got to be a lot for somebody her age to be dating Scott. And then he's got three kids in the drama of Courtney. Over time, that would be hard to handle. I don't know. I've thought about that. That would be hard for me. Most women wouldn't put up with stuff like that. 
And they're all just kind of reflecting both in confessionals and in there about how they would feel. And Kim says, which like for Kim to momentarily put herself in Sophia's shoes is my is the my highlight of like this episode. Like that's all I could ever want from an episode. Yeah, same. So she says, if I was in Sophia's shoes, I would be like, this is absolutely not normal and I can't take it. I wouldn't want to be with someone that was vacationing with their ex and just them together. I get the spending time with the kids and I would encourage them to spend as much time with the kids as possible. But then I think, what would I want if that was my situation? And Corey asks her, amazing question, Corey. So what would you want in Courtney's shoes? And Kim says, I mean, in Courtney's shoes, I still think there should be a bit more structure. I mean, I love how open they are, but it's like as if they're together, but not sexual. And Chris says, I just think he's hanging on to what used to be. And I think that if he has the opportunity to be with somebody that makes him happy, then that's what he should go do. We're all kind of processing this and out of left field, Corey goes, well, on another note, you are all beautiful people and Tristan is the man. That's my dog. (laughs) Chloe's like, oh, okay. I loved this. Like what could be better than them sitting poolside talking about the inner workings of Scott and Sophia? Are you kidding me? No, nothing is better. And also Chris is so funny to me because she's like, oh, I just think Scott's holding on to the past. Like he's holding on to what used to be. And then every scene so far of court of, Chris and Courtney and Scott is Chris being like, so when are you guys going to get back together? Scott, when are you going to make an honest man out of my daughter? It's like, Chris, you got to pick a lane here. <laughs> I know. It's almost like when when he's not there, that's her stance. And then I think she just immediately, once she sees him, it's like, oh yeah, I'm reminded why I want this so badly. Yeah. It's so funny. And also what was interesting was bringing Kim into it because you're really not sure at this point whether or not she's speaking from the angle of that's going to be me soon in the sense of like co-parenting and dealing with your significant other breaking up and then dating other people. Or if she's just thinking super hypothetically and not thinking about herself at all in terms of a realist situation. It's funny you say that. I was thinking the same thing. I think there's no world in which she wasn't putting herself in, which is why I think she immediately interjected and said, no, I'd want them to have a good relationship. And I'd love the fact with their kids, because I think she knows that when her and Kanye are officially divorced, that you know they will be doing things together with the kids most likely, or he will, at least at the very least, he will have a great relationship with his children. And so I think she really was putting that on. And also then for whoever she dates, she wants them to know that her kids come first and all those things. So I think that even if she wasn't totally conscious of it, and even if she wasn't saying it out loud, that had to be going on in her mind. There's no way it couldn't. Yeah, definitely. I also wonder if the rest of the family was thinking that, like if that's why Corey was like, well, what would you want? Or if they were kind of only asking it as a hypothetical and she was kind of answering it as a realistic possibility. I don't think I can answer that intelligently because I'm not fully sure of what the conversations has been regarding Kanye. So I need to wait a few more episodes till I can then revisit this scene. I completely understand. Thank you for your patience. Okay, next scene is Kim and Chloe. This is when Chloe is in the pool and they're just talking about the process. And she's really explaining how there could be serious complications around a pregnancy. There's a higher risk for a miscarriage. And I think, again, having Kim there, especially who has gone through the surrogacy process, being able to talk about that together is really calming her because you can tell she's very anxiety ridden. And I think she feels like her body and her mind are just so disconnected. And then you can tell it's really weighing on her heart. Yeah, absolutely. It's also really difficult to deal with or come to terms with the fact when you feel like you're kind of being failed by your own body. It's a really difficult thing, I think, to grasp. So 
for her to have somebody else in the family, especially who was able to be like, I know exactly how that feels. I know exactly what it's like for your body to not do what you feel like it's meant to do or what you want it to do. It has to be so comforting, especially from a family of like incredibly fertile women. You know what I mean? Like Chris had a ton of kids. Courtney had three kids. So when you consider all of those factors and you if you were to feel like kind of you were the lone one in the family struggling with this, that would be a very isolating experience. So for her to be able to have Kim, I think is just so unbelievably comforting. Yes. As you were talking, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think that it's not that she has any jealousy or anger towards Courtney and the ease of her pregnancies. Like I think that's all she could want for her sister to have the best pregnancy possible. And she's so glad that that was the case for her. However, it's just like factually, Courtney cannot relate. And so to have somebody in the family that can relate, yeah, I would imagine that is probably actually more comforting than you and I could even try to imagine. Yeah, definitely. I so agree. So next scene, we're at Chloe's house. It's Chloe, Kim, and Scott. Obviously, you guys know this is like the OG best trio there is, in my opinion. Uh, the best trio. I would do anything for unlimited scenes of them together. Yeah. And Chloe basically is asking for an update on him and Sophia. And Scott says, I mean, you know, things have definitely taken a turn. And she says, oh my, which way? And should I read his exact quote, do you think? I do. He says, well, I thought I would give it a try and make her more of a priority. But even when doing that, I feel like she just started wanting to like push Courtney out. And I said, that's the most important thing to me is my kids and that's my family. And the only family I have, including you guys along with it. And she was like, I don't want to share you as a boyfriend with Courtney. And I was like, I totally understand and I'm happy to work with you if you tell me what you really want. And then instead of just wanting to work with it, she literally said with an ultimatum, you have to choose me or Courtney. And I was like, but Courtney is Courtney and my kids. And I said, how could you even want that for me? It just became an impossible relationship to keep carrying on with. And in his confessional, he's saying, you know, that I'm never going to give up my relationship with Courtney and the co-parenting we have. Nothing in a million years will be worth what we have. And I truthfully believe that if the right person were to even come along into Courtney's life or into my life, us having children and having this amazing relationship would only be a plus to the outsider. Okay. You want to go or you want me to go? No, I want you to go. I'm I'm like too overwhelmed. (laughs) I understand. Take a breather. Let me speak and then you can come back in. Okay. What he's saying here is so, so interesting Because I know we just had a whole discussion about how mature we find Sophia and mature we find her to be able to deal with these situations. And the whole idea of kind of giving an ultimatum seemingly might take away from that maturity. But I think that the way Scott is kind of retelling this is as if she's trying to push Courtney out of his life and she's trying to take that attention away from Courtney and put it on her. But... It's not like she's doing that because he, she is the mother of his children and she wants more priority than the mother of his children. I think that she is really now reflecting on the relationship that Scott has with Courtney that goes beyond just co-parenting relationship. And I think what she wants out of Scott is to be able to say, you have to push that idea of Courtney out of the way or you need to maybe lessen how close you are with Courtney as Courtney, not as the mother of your children in order for our relationship to work, which I think does make a lot of sense. And if he's unwilling to do that, I don't think there are a lot of women that are going to be able to put up with that. And I don't think that Sophia's request here is as ridiculous as he's kind of making it out to be. I agree with you. I think one, we're obviously hearing this from his side. So it's a little bit different, not because he's trying to manipulate or tell the story differently. However, 
he's viewing it through his eyes. So clearly it's a little bit different. I also think, I guess like to give the benefit of the doubt or to kind of just talk about this very generally, it is more complicated than your average. I get that. I obviously understand that there are so many factors at play. The fact that they literally live right next door to each other, the fact that they don't have a very specific custody agreement. You know, there are so many factors aside from the fact that he's like also in love with her. Like even if we take that aside, just the fame, the family, there's a million things that make this more complicated than your average. And I get that. They work together. They're constantly together. I I really do understand from his eyes. However, when he says in his confessional that I truly believe if the right person were to come along into Courtney's life or into mine, us having children and having this amazing relationship would only be a plus to the outsider. Again, the key element that nobody's talking about is it's not the relationship. It's not the co-parenting. It's the side fact that you also are in love with her and there's no way to separate those two. Like even if the even if someone could get on board with the rest, the fact that those can't confidently be separated, it takes a very specific type of person to even be okay with that. And I actually wouldn't even put the person that could deal with that above anyone else. Like I don't think that you should strive to that because I don't think a lot of people are comfortable with that. And I think that's so fair. If we're being honest, like really, really, really honest, I think there is an element of Scott that dates younger women because they aren't so secure in what it's like to be in a relationship so that they're able to put up with that fact. Whereas women who are older or closer in age to him who have been in relationships and are really confident in what they need out of a relationship are going to be more willing to put their foot down and say, I can't deal with this on any level. Right. And so now this is three years down the line when this conversation is arising, which I think feeds in beautifully into your point. Right. And let listen, let's be clear. If you said that to Scott, unless he's reflected on that in therapy, he would probably disagree very strongly because I don't think he's actively doing that consciously, but it's obviously going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I think so too. He also says at the end of this conversation, you know, I, I need to be with somebody that I can trust with all my heart. I trust Courtney with my life. And like, if you can't trust somebody, you can't really have anything. He trusts Courtney with his life. I just, yeah, I just want to leave it at that. I don't even want to necessarily analyze that thought. I think it's more powerful if we just leave it on its own. What do you think? I so agree. Anyway, last scene, we're back at the Malibu house and they're again, just kind of talking about Chloe's situation with the IVF and how this is all going to go down. And right now she's embryos, one girl, two boys, and she's talking to Kim about it. Clearly Kim is of the belief that she should have as many children as possible. And I think Kim feels that Kanye pushing her for a fourth is something she really is glad that happened. But it's funny how Kim is completely almost, in my opinion, unable to remove her own bias from this conversation. She's she's far less objective, I think, in this than than in some other things we see her in, because clearly she feels very strongly about this. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that's a combination of her having a lot of kids and also growing up with a lot of siblings. Yeah, totally agree. Anything else you want to mention? I think that's it. I loved this episode and I cannot wait for next week. I mean, this is, we're talking, this is like the best of the best. This is really, really, in my opinion, the like top 0.2% of Kardashian episodes. And I have to imagine, or I'm choosing to believe that because this is their last season, we're going to get a lot of depth. That's all I want. All I want is depth. 
I'm Julie, I'm telling you, they could not leave the Malibu house this entire season. And if they could just continue to have these deep conversations about what was happening in the headlines or their feelings about Scott, Courtney, Kim, Kanye on just different couches each time, sometimes the lounge chair, sometimes the pool, I'm here for it all. Me too. Honestly, they don't even have to change their seating. I was going to say, if they just want to rotate who comes in, like I'm down for that too. Completely agree. Just give me the, the aerial shot of the view every time they come back from a commercial break. Yes, just let me see the water and zone in on them and I will be so happy and content. Me too. Oh, okay, guys. Well, we are back. We love you so much. I'm so excited for this season. We will be here to recap it with you every single time right after it airs. And we love you so much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. And final season, you guys. I can't believe it. We love you. We love you.